My guest today is Seth Atena, a writer for Rolling Stone magazine. He has a documentary about Rudy Giuliani being made through the production arm of Rolling Stone magazine. It's going to be released in 2022, done by the same producing team as Ozark. He talked jazz with Hugh Hefner, war and wag the dog with Woody Harrelson. He was menaced by G. Gordon Liddy. Don't worry, folks, it turned out all right. He also opens up about overcoming his struggle with marijuana and his inner conflict about the legalization of it. Lots and lots and lots of good stuff. So sit down, strap in, turn on and turn up this episode of Tony on the Mic. Our story begins as these stories often do. Uh, maybe I'll have you back on if it's a hit. If it's a dud, then we'll, right, well never talk again. Nice knowing you. But right. <laughs> are we are we recording this on video? This, yes, this is a video. No, this is this is audio. I have to put my clothes on. No, you don't. You're fine. You've been into fitness. You're looking good, man. Can we give yep. a little shout out to the wifey? Yes, Anita. That's a pretty lame shout out. This is the story of a. I said A is for Apple. J is for Jacks. But I forgot Cin- the next cinnamon one. Cinnamon toasted, toasted yeah, Apple Jacks. You eat a good breakfast. <laughs> That's a fact. So, started off with, with Apple Jacks. <laughs> Yikes. The good news is no one will think we rehearsed that. I have to say, that's the most amazing story I ever heard. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you happen to listen to this fine podcast product. My name is Tony Lawrence, and I'm Tony on the mic today on the cover of the Rolling Stone. I don't know if he's ever on the cover, but my guest today, Seth Atenya, writes for the Rolling Stone online and a couple of other things. Say hello to the folks, Seth. Hi there. Hi, everybody. We're going we're gonna to do a deep dive into his triumphs and tribulations throughout business. First, let's start with the Rolling Stone. It used to be like the ultimate anti-establishment, you know, young people, screw old people, hope I die before I get old magazine. And then the Penske group bought it. Yeah. So did you do you notice a difference in the theme or the tone? Uh, Are they hands on at all? That's a good question. I don't. Uh, And they want me to hit hard. And that's right. You know, with the kind of journalism I like to do. Um, I like to hit as hard as possible, and they're right. totally, totally okay with that. Okay. Well, this is the opposite of that. I like to hit as soft as possible. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, this is gonna this is gonna be tickling compared to your typical fights. Um, I, I also like to at the beginning and the end, if you have something, get a website and a couple other things. Want you, you plug that now? We'll plug it again at the end so people can find you. Yeah. So if that anybody wants to check out my website, it's my name. I'll spell it out. Uh, it's Seth, and then the last name, H-E-T-T-E-N-A, Hatena.com. You can find all my work there. SethHatena.com. And now, Rolling Stone. Yeah. Now, is it still in the spirit of Hunter S. Thompson and the gonzo journalism? What do you, where do you guys fall on the scale of things? It's not. There is still some elements of that, but I would say it's more of a uh, just a place for really good writing, really good journalism, and... Um, you know, it's it's a it's just a fantastic magazine. It's just it's 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 got culture, it's got music, and really good writing and journalism. Now it started primarily music, if I remember. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, it started with uh, yeah, a focus heavily on the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, right. and it came out. I think it started late '60s in San Francisco, so it was all part of the Haight Ashbury scene, and um, then it moved to New York, and it became more of a, a bigger kind of corporate enterprise. Yeah, some people say it died then. 
Well, yeah, but it's, it's <laughs> it, still going. It is going. And, hey, and when I say die, I don't mean die in terms of profits. I just mean die in dryness. The yeah, soul of it. Well, the soul of it got crushed. Look, if you can keep something going for for 50 years, yeah. I mean, there's something to it, yeah. right? I'm just trying to keep for 50 weeks on my podcast. <laughs> if I make a year, I'll have a big celebration. I'll have you back. i have everybody back. Your 1,000th episode. Yes. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, that's a big, big ask. So you were born in New York, New yeah. York City. Yeah. And uh, went to high school in the Bronx. I did, yeah. A uh, school called Fieldston High School up there. And um, uh, yeah, it was a, you know, so I went, I was, uh, it was a private school. A lot of, you know, there's public schools and private, right. big private school thing in New York. And so that was a private high school I went to. And did you see the movie The Bronx Tale? I did. Were you, you know, was that you? As I a love kid? that movie, but no. <laughs> De Niro wasn't your no, dad no, no, trying no. to Let keep you Let me give you a the... picture of myself as a, as a young man. So I was heavily overprotected and uh, <laughs> like the, the Hunter S. Thompson, that, 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 I didn't not... know who that was. Okay. So. <laughs> uh, and then St. John's for college? No, Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins. Yeah. I, I in stand. Baltimore. Yeah. I, and you know, it's funny because I wrote down St. John's. And then you said college in Baltimore, where you actually met your wife later. Yeah. And I'm like, I'd have swore St. John's was in New York. <laughs> and if, you I, want to, if you want to say I went to St. John's, John, I'm okay with that. Then, uh, but you consider San Diego home? I do. I've been here. I lived here longer than I've lived anyplace else now. Okay. So. And and uh, when did you move to San Diego? 2001. 2001. Yeah. And you've been here essentially nonstop since then. Yeah. Okay, so 20, yeah. 20 years. I got your beat. I'm 95. I moved here. Nice. I still consider Chicago my hometown, I guess. Have you lived here longer than you lived in Chicago? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, those those formative years yeah. stick with you. Yeah. And I'm still friends with a lot of guys. As a matter of fact, the Bears are playing the Rams, and we're going to go up to the, hopefully get tickets to the new stadium if nice. they're not insane. And a bunch of my friends from Chicago are coming out. Oh, that's so. cool. It is cool. Married uh, 2003. You want to give yep. a little shout out to the wifey? Yes, Anita. That's a pretty lame shout out. I mean, you know, <laughs> come out of like you are my life and love, or I can't wait to see it. something. Just not right. her name. I, got, I, I know to, her name. I need to, if you've made it this far, uh, <laughs> I feel sorry for you. No, I love you. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. So you have two kids, uh, 15 and 11. Yep. Both boys. Ryan and Evan. Yep. Nice. You can give them a shout out now that yep. you know what to do. Uh, hey, boys, thanks for listening. I want you to turn it off after this and go to bed now. Okay. <laughs> uh let's see you said they were born prematurely both both premature. of them yeah wow that's yeah. got to be a trying was, as a parent especially the first one yeah the first one was a was a real shocker we were my wife had visited her obstetrician that day got home great checkup everything's fine uh we sit down to watch some tv and uh her water breaks and we're on the way to the hospital wow and we hadn't had a parenting class. I mean, we knew nothing <laughs> we knew nothing and this was like uh, 30, what was it, 33 weeks or 30? Oh, I can't wow. remember exactly. Yeah, we were we were about a week early, and I made the mistake of saying, oh, my son was born premature also. And everybody's like, no. I'm like, I, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, for our second one, we got really scary because I think she was 28 or Ooh. maybe even earlier, 20. Wow. And they, she started having contractions. and um, Wow. Yeah, and, and and that's when your baby's born and it weighs a pound, and Oof. it's in the NICU for months and months and months. And is that what happened yeah, with you? No, wow. he stayed oh. in. He he stayed in the oven and uh, cooked a little more. And okay, he, good. Came out at like thirty four weeks or something okay. like that. Still 
quite a bit early, but it's not. still early. But that twenty-eight week is yeah, that That's, was a scary moment there. That is, that would be terrifying. We had um, Anthony. It was funny. Um, <laughs> a week early, maybe two weeks early. I don't know, but not not alarmingly early. Yeah, I was out playing racquetball. I came home. My wife said, "I think my water broke." I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, either that or I just peed myself. Yeah, that's what my wife said. <laughs> yeah, too. and I'm like, she's like, did I just pee myself? Right. Yeah. And I went, um, well, I don't know. And we didn't have, you know, we had a class like the next day. Yeah. We're going to pack all our bags and get everything set up. And so we're freaking out. We call the hospital and they said, yeah, go ahead and take a shower and then come on. And we're like, yeah, take a shower. You know, we're, <laughs> what? Yeah. And so she took a shower. We went in, they induced the next morning. And... So can I tell a story? Of so, course. Uh, you know, that book everybody reads what to expect yes. when you're expecting yeah that was my parenting class i'm just <laughs> i went to this i looked in the index what to say when you know <laughs> and that's what i said you know that was my lamas parenting class right there that's all you need beautiful so anybody who doesn't have that book if you're pregnant get the book and men too because you may need to yes uh, it may be your friend in an emergency it will be i we had the book also and read it that was something you also have an unusual background. It's really fascinated me when I found out your dad was a spy. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Tell he, me tell me a little bit about that. So my dad was born in Cairo, Egypt. Um, he's, he's, he's gone. He's passed away in 2001. But he uh, grew up in Cairo. You know, I'm, I'm Jewish. And so he came Wait, wait, up, what? What? You're Jewish? Yeah. You have to end the podcast now? Yes, I'm sorry. My guest today <laughs> has been... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next week. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go, go on. Go on. Uh, so he, uh, so he was born in Cairo, and the Jewish community there, you know, became really excited uh, during this. He was so he. Let me just set this up. He was a British subject, so he has a British passport, and he was called up to uh, serve in the RAF in the, in the Royal Air Force during World War II. Um, and when he came back, the Jewish community, his sister, had gotten really involved with his youth group. And the youth group was all excited about the future state of Israel. And, and um, they got him into the movement. And he, he was a telegraph operator. One of his first jobs was for Marconi Telegraph with a little Morse code and decoding messages. And that was in the 40s? Yeah. So this yeah. would, I, I'm not sure the exact, but 44, 43, wow, something okay. like that. And. Uh, so he wasn't very good telegraph operator, but he was good enough. So he, did, he didn't do very well at Marconi, but that skill was useful because the uh, Jews in Israel were setting up a basically, a, you know, a, a secret army, and they wanted to know what the Arab countries around them were doing. They had spies in Egypt and other countries, I presume. Wow. So how do you communicate with them? They would communicate via telegraph, and his job was to decode those messages and relay them at a coffee shop or a public place to the to the agents there and the way they it's kind of interesting the way they hid it was so he was a young man and he would they rented an apartment they hid the telegraph in a i don't know some piece of furniture or something and when uh the messages would be delivered like you're going to receive messages from such and such time he and a bunch of his friends and his sister would all go to the apartment they put on loud music and they'd have a dance party Huh? And, and that was the way they would hide the beep, beep, the beep. Wow. Yeah. And uh, or early techno. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he got um, and, and later he got I, I found after he passed, there was a, 
Uh, he got a, a, a medal, basically, from oh, wow. the Israeli army for his services. And there's still some mystery about it. Like, he didn't talk about it much. So a lot of this I had to figure out after he died. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's... That's, that's kind of cool. So he was uh, James Bond? No. He was he a Jewish was James, James Bond. Bond's uh, messenger. Yes. He was uh, the translator. Right. Let's go. And then he was... So from Cairo, he went to... Cairo to London. London. So what happened was the Egyptian government started to get suspicious of all what was going on. Too much and, dancing. Yeah, and the people started getting arrested, and he didn't want to wind up in his Egyptian no. prison. That's not a place anybody mm -hmm. should wind up. And he just split and just, like, next day he's in London. And then he now made what about it. your mom? So my mom grew up in New York. Oh, um, he met your mom? He met my mom okay, in New later. York. Yeah, okay, yeah. So he didn't just see him, see him mom and leave her in it, Cairo. He left his mom. He's, he, well, his mom is... Yeah, but yeah. no, she. he saw her, he met her in New York. She okay. was... Uh, do you want to hear this story? Sure. I can cut it out if it's boring. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, this is another, so my mom, so this was 1949 now and Israel had just become a state and there was nothing there. It's just sand. Okay. But my mom wanted to go and her parents refused to let her fly. They said, you can go, but you can't fly. Now she's Jewish as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You can't fly. Okay. Well, I think, I don't know if they thought this would prevent her from going or what, right. that, but she was pretty resourceful and she figured out that I, well, I can go by ship. And my dad was working for a shipping company. Oh, and that's how they met. oh that is interesting. That's very interesting. So if you listen to any of the episodes, you may know what's coming next at the yeah. end of the first segment. And it's your time to sing. <clears throat> you can do a TV theme song yeah. or a commercial jingle. Your choice. All right. I have these commercial jingles that have been living in my jingles. head. Jingles. Okay. Well, jingle. Yeah. We're going to do, do the greatest hits here. No, I could, <laughs> but I'll spare your listeners. Uh, all right. See if you remember this one. Okay. I'm sure I will. My, my voice, just to warn you. All right. Gonna taste, gonna tempt your tummy with a taste of nuts and honey. It's a honey of an O. It's, it's honey, honey nut Cheerios. Very good. There you go. Yeah. I can do Apple Jacks too, but you know. Go ahead. No, that's No, not. we'll that's do it. Okay. We'll do it like a rap. You ready? I, well, I'm not, I'm not sure I remember. Uh, I, I'll, no, I'll cue you. Just follow. No, I just can't go sing. That's too. Hey, you're doing it. Come on, ready? Uh, I said A is for. Apple. J is for Jacks. But I forgot Cin the next cinnamon one. Cinnamon toasted, toasted yeah, Apple Jacks. <laughs> Need a good breakfast. That's a fact. So started off with, with Apple Jacks. <laughs> Yikes. That may Stuff make it. That's, that's like cobwebs <laughs> in your brain. I know. You can never yeah. get rid of. And I don't think the good news is no one will think we rehearsed that. Because well, we didn't. <laughs> no, clearly. So with that, we're going to take a break. We're going to thank one of my sponsors, Alante Construction, Rick Villapondu. If you need construction from foundation to roof, he's your man. Anywhere in San Diego County, Rick Villapondu. Alante. Whoa. Construction. Whoa. When you need some work on your home and you want a professional job, you can call on Big Rick because that man is so slick and then you will enjoy peace of mind. You can leave all confusion and all disillusion behind. If it's a new kitchen or patio, just call on Daddy-O. 
Construction, San Diego County, top to bottom, left to right. He handles all your needs. No job too big or too small. You want it done and done right? Call Big Rick. We are back. My guest today is Seth Hattenia, writer for the Rolling Stone, freelance journalist, and a worldwide traveled person. He's got some exciting projects coming up. Let's talk about your career for a minute, how it started. You went to Columbia University and studied journalism. Yeah. And then from there, you went to Iowa? Iowa. Now, when you graduated, did you just go to the job board and see who was hiring and go, Iowa? I Well, if I had to do it over it again, I probably would not spend three years in Iowa. That uh, uh, I, I like to say I paid my dues and somebody else's. So. Right. I was going to say many people have said that about Iowa. <laughs> but actually, I look back now and I, I learned a lot. Um, but so I, had, I was stubborn. You know, the, the way to make it in journalism when you're starting out is to get an internship. Okay. And that means you work for basically right. nothing. Yeah. Uh, but you work at a pretty good paper and you make contacts and hopefully get a job there. So where where in Iowa? Well, I didn't. So Is I this was your no, big no, no. Paper? I was stubborn. <laughs> I didn't want an internship. I was like, oh, I'm I'm not going to work okay. for free. And so that meant I went to Iowa and I started out <laughs> in uh, Dubuque, Iowa. Okay. Um, big old big city of Dubuque. Yeah. And, um, well, you're from Chicago, so you probably yeah. yeah. I'm aware that it exists. <laughs> well, <laughs> I couldn't and tell I was, you anything and, about it. And so I, there's this tiny little two lane road that connects Dubuque to Chicago and the rest of the world. Yeah. And that it, that I drove that many many times. Nice. Um, and so I spent you know I started there, and then I went to the bigger city of Davenport, Iowa. Davenport. Now which, you're getting on the map. Which is part of the Quad Cities. Yep. Yeah. Uh, for those Iowa listeners out there. Yes, my, I have a huge presence <laughs> in Iowa. <laughs> and. Uh, and I spent another year or so there, and I was just getting really. I was like, okay, you know, this idea about me not taking an internship—that was probably a bad was- idea. So <laughs> then I, I became, I basically became an intern for the Associated Press. Okay. And I started in Detroit. Uh-huh. Uh, when remember Jack Kevorkian? Oh yeah, the suicide doctor. Jack Kevorkian was in operation then. So wow. and that was he in Detroit? He was in Detroit. I mean, that's, we would that's scratching the memory. And balance. we would get these weird calls from his lawyer. Uh, who who would say things like, I can't tell you more than just to tell you there's a body at this motel, and uh, that's all I can say. And and that was the code, because legally he couldn't say right, it. Right, right. You know, although Kevorkian wound up going to prison anyway. But, right. But legally they were trying to do this dance where he wasn't there or he wasn't responsible. Right. Something. Wow. And, and so we'd get, and then we'd have to scramble at like 1130 at night and try to figure out what was going on. Wow, that's actually a super cool story. Yeah. Well, it's super interesting, I guess. If you're talking super about morbid. dead people and I, right, exactly. Well, the Associated Press is is amazing like that. You are just thrown into like world news events. So, what? Because I was the lowest man on the totem pole, I had these garbage hours. I was working midnight to eight a lot. Right. Ugh. Uh, yeah, I did that for a long time. Ugh. But so most of the time, I'm just sitting there watching TV, and quote unquote working. But right. you know. So one night I get a call like, uh, have you ever heard of a Chinese dissident named Wei Jing Sheng or something like right. that? Like, no. It's like, well, he's on his way to Detroit. <laughs> and China had just released him. And, and the only flight they could get him on was to, to Detroit. Detroit. So it was like me in the center of this like huge international story. All of it, that, that was kind of the, that's what the Associated Press was like. Wow. And they would just throw you in anything. I did sports and I'm, you know, I'm not much of a sports writer, but yeah. you, you had to do it. Wow. 
that's uh that's that's kind of a cool starting point it's a great starting point so it's, you learn you know the i don't know, i'm sure you've heard this saying like to be an expert at something you need 10,000 10, hours. hours yeah so you get your 10,000 hours really fast and you are because <laughs> you're writing all the time yeah and you're not sitting there thinking about what to write you're just like boom next story wow so the kevorkian thing is super interesting in that Obviously, it was in the. It's funny. I met, I brought up Kevorkian. I take a little writing class at college just for for kicks, and and I said, oh, you know, we need a. It's a Kevorkian situation, and of course, nobody got it right. because they were all born in 1997 yeah. or 2000 or whatever. And it's it's amazing that because that was such a big it was thing. Huge. It was such a it big was on thing. 60 minutes all the time. And yeah, then, yeah, the whole thing. So then, 97 Detroit, 98 California. You were sent to California. And I came out here for the governor's race. Okay. And I was in Sacramento, and the Unabomber case was going on. What? That was in Sacramento. So he was uh, on trial there, and they would again. So they just you, they the court would drop a reporter or some something, and you right. just have to go jump on it and um so you uncovered the unabomber i covered the case i, I, no, I never saw him. him or anything oh, okay. like that but there was this weird reporter okay, wait, wait, to... wait let's try that again you covered the unabomber yes <laughs> <laughs> no, i'm just kidding I, yeah I I'm wanna... the, I, my, I'm, my oh, self-promotional well, skills are uh yeah, i want to uh, keep the integrity of the podcast intact so you, you covered the trial i covered the case yeah the so, case I mean, yeah for, so the one story that sticks in my head was uh so he there was a psychological evaluation done on him and the court was finally uh there all this pressure to release it not release it. and finally they decided to release it and of course i'm the only idiot there right. on that day when it comes down but what it said was fascinating this it said like that he thought he had these like uh, sexual he thought he thought he was a woman at one point really yeah and much easier to digest now bad time for him <laughs> well and this is kind of fascinating because you know he went on this homicidal rage right and he was at Michigan or Harvard, I can't remember where it was, and he went to go tell a shrink about it. And the shrink said something to him that he clammed up and he just got like this rage, this, this fury came over him. And I, huh. I always think like that was the, the kind tipping of point, the genesis of him going yeah, wow. off the deep end and just starting to blow. Do we have the name of that therapist? Let's find it. Come on, man. You're an investigative journalist. Dude, this was like, you know, 20 years ago. I can't remember that. But I could dig no. it out for you if you want. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Let's see. Uh, I mean, just for my own curiosity, just because yeah. it's kind of cool. And then It's kind of fascinating. You, right? I, I wonder what the psychologist's reaction was to to that theory that he caused the Unabomber. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if he was... I mean, this was, again, this was <clears throat> probably in the 70s, so... Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know. I He's don't probably know dead. Yeah. I don't know what the guy's name was or anything. Yeah. Then they moved you to Baltimore. What was the catalyst to go to Baltimore? There was an opening. Okay. Uh, like a permanent? Like your actual yeah, so job? Now I'm, now I'm actually permanent at the Associated okay. Press. So okay. I uh, I've now have union benefits and nice. pension and stuff like that. And um, so I came in, again, just general assignment. And Baltimore, uh, as it always is, I don't know if you've ever seen The Wire, but oh yeah, that's one of my favorite shows. Me too. That that it was in the middle of a crime wave. It's always in the middle of a crime wave, right? And so we were thrown into this, uh, you know, just this wild kind of situation there. Um, and it was always like a uh, thing that the police were trying to keep the number of murders under three hundred. And so th every time at the end of the year, we would count. <laughs> we, <laughs> is it two eighty seven? Oh, it's two ninety five and three. Right. This has got morbid journal, you know, newsroom humor. But that's yeah. Uh, uh, 
but yeah, that's that's you know that's that was Baltimore. Like they were trying to keep the lid on this explosive. They, it's like huge heroin. Now, were they, population you mean there. in terms of reporting it or actually trying to contain murders? The city was trying to just keep the numbers, like like they're in the wire. They yeah. were literally trying to keep the numbers down. Okay. And you can't hide a murder. That's no. the, you, know, you know you can't. No. You can't fudge that as a something. That's else. too bad. I, I wonder, you know, and again, some of these solutions that take decades and generations. You just wish they'd started decades or generations ago. Yeah. You know, so that's tough. Uh, did I, you ever investigate, like, Stringer Bell? Um, He's the wire guy. No. There there was just crazy stories, though. Like, there was... there was This is how screwed up the city was. There was a guy arrested for murder, uh, and there was a, there's a rule, I think, in every court system that you have to go to trial by... You can't just, you can't just hold someone indefinitely. Right, right. And and his lawyer was pressing for a trial, and it kept no trial ever happened, and so they just they just let him go. They had to release him. What? And then it turned out there were other people who had because they were so screwed up and couldn't get their act together, they were just releasing people. Murderers. Murderers. Wow. That's failure of leadership. <laughs> it's. I mean, the wire. If anybody has, if you haven't seen that show, for anybody's listening, like watch yeah, that show. It's a great show. It, it's so relevant today to race and what's going on in this country with police beatings and yeah. police problems wow. and everything. Then, so you met your wife there. Yeah. Got a cute meat story, or like um, was she trying to get to Jerusalem? And <laughs> I <laughs> wish. No, it's just a uh, through the Associated Press. Her best friend worked there. Okay. And. I went to a party in uh, up in New York, at, uh, and she said, "Oh, you're in Baltimore. Why don't you uh, call my best friend who lives down there, Anita?" All right. So I did, and and uh, we that was it was the rest is history. So as they say, yeah, there were some little bumps along the way, but yeah, I mean, we're gonna yeah. talk about your bumps. Don't <laughs> don't worry about we're that. We're gonna massage those into mountains. Yes, we. By the time I'm done, <laughs> and then 2001, they moved you to San Diego. Yes. And now, did they just say? Hey, there's an opening in San Diego. Are you interested? Or yes. do they say you're going to San Diego? Yeah, and this is the weird thing. Like, I thought I didn't know any, I didn't know San Diego. Right. I thought San Diego was like an extension of L.A. Ugh. So I said, uh, they said, do you want to go to San Diego? I said no, and I was the only idiot who said no to San Diego. <laughs> so they said, this guy, this is the guy we want in San Diego. He's the only idiot who doesn't want to go there. So um, they sent me there. I was trying to get to Northern California. Okay. And uh, and they so they sent me here, and I huh. was like, wow, boy, was I wrong about San yeah, Diego. Yeah, lucky. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, I got moved here with work, and I'm yeah. never, never leaving. It's, yeah. And where are you going to go? I mean. Right. It, right. Yeah. You know, you can go. My dad, in fact, just got back from Arizona. He's, he's kind of looking for, he and his wife, for a retirement where he's going to settle down. And, yeah. He's lived in San Diego. He moved out here when I had kids. And it's hard to go look anywhere else because, you know, you go anywhere else. It's too cold. It's too hot. It's too sunny. I mean, we have the beach. You know, right. we have Mexico. We have the mountains. You can go skiing. We have, and we're inland a little bit, perfect weather year-round. Every now and then it gets a little hot. Yeah. It never gets too cold, right. you know. But for the most part, every day you can plan on wearing shorts and a T-shirt and doing whatever it is you're going to do. So I don't know. I don't know how anybody... I mean, I guess you could cash out your, you know, your house, yeah. which, which is the stumbling block, of course, is the cost of living. Yeah, I, I did meet one person at the Associated Press, and she had lived in San Diego, and that totally shocked me because she was seemed like the ultimate New Yorker, and she was not from New York. Yeah, but she said uh, she was always out of place, and like San Diego was just. 
too Perfect. nice for her. So she got oh. to New York and she's like, finally, I'm here. This is my, really this is my home. Yeah, that's funny because I feel that way when I go back to Chicago. I feel like I'm and actually Portland, Oregon, too. I lived there for a while. And that's where my mom lives now. Yeah. And I go up there and I do I do feel at home. I mean, I'm very, very, very lucky to feel there's three three airports I can land in and have that warmth of home nice. kind of come over you. That's great. You know, and. And it took a little while for San Diego to be that, you know, of course, because then it was always, I'm going home to Oregon. Right. I'm going home to right. Chicago. And, and then it, it was very tangible. I remember yeah. coming home. Yeah. And now you're home. And this is, of course, where we live. We got married, had all our kids here. And well, my When my parents passed, that was like, uh, then my uh, my attachments to home, you know, yeah. that kind of, those bonds got cut. Yeah. And I was kind of on my own anyway. And Yeah. 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 Okay, so you kind of semi-retired, or yeah. what? Yeah, so my mom, uh, my dad passed in like 2001. My mom right. was living by herself in, in a, her apartment in New York, and it was clear there was something wrong with her. Uh, her memory was slipping, and she was physically really fit, And um, but it just became increasingly clear that she needed help. Yeah, And so I made the decision to move her out here, uh, this would have been 2008, 2009 ish, okay. maybe something around there and, uh, put her in a whole, you know, retirement assisted living facility. And although she, the, the, the crazy thing was, although she'd been able to get around New York, it's not an easy thing to do. She was able to navigate around New York. Uh, she came out here. She was just, it was clear. Like she was way worse than, than we thought. thought. And yeah. she needed to go into dementia care oh. and she wound up in Encinitas. There's some great places up there that do a great job. Yeah, and she wanted to put a secret home called Seacrest up there, and and she passed away at Seacrest. And so, mm. when that was going on, I I was freelancing and I was just doing these baloney assignments that I didn't care about for not much money. And I was just like, what am I? Who, yeah. What am I doing here? You know, uh, who who am I? Who am I trying to impress at this point? And I just left it for a while. So that's yeah. So I semi-retired. You know, yeah. Hung up my jersey. <laughs> hung up. It didn't. Uh... In, in a Jordan-like return, just yes. announced I'm back. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get to a couple of your projects. Um, after, another word from our sponsors, we're going to go to Retro Sports. If you need any team gear, embroidery, silkscreen, custom shirts, uniforms, or sporting goods, on stock or ordered, he can hook you up. He's got everything used, new, and anything in between. Retro Sports. Sports fans, what do Billie Eilish, Travis Scott, and me have in common? Jacob Oberon Retro Sports has done our gear. That's right, he's done gear for bands, teams, sports, schools. You have a need, he can fill it, I promise. They do embroidery, screen printing, tackle twill, heat press, and if you have an organization, they will build you a spirit website. You can do it for your school or your team, whatever you have going on. He posts it all, they order it, he makes it, and you get money. You share in the profits. It's free. Check it out. They'll do your letterman's jacket, fitness equipment, whatever you need. And when you go in there, make sure you tell them that Tony on the mic sent you in. To Jacob Ober, great in the community. Outstanding product and service. Check out Retro Sports, retrosports.net, and 9100 Fletcher Parkway in La Mesa. And we are back, this time with author, author. Seth Atania. Okay. He's got a book out. Got a long-form work on Giuliani, right? That's being converted to a movie. We'll, we'll talk about the details. Correct me if I make any mistakes. But I want to start back with The Duke. Randy Duke Cunningham. That was your first book, right? Yep. And tell, tell me about The Duke. Was he The Duke or just Duke? 
he was the Duke's Duke. He was Duke. Just okay, Duke. Duke. You know, John Wayne. That right. Was his, uh, right. John Dane. John Wayne was the Duke. John he, Wayne was he Duke, was and he just... and he was John Wayne was his like his, his idol. idol. Yeah. Oh, okay. And uh, so yeah, Randy Cunningham. You know, for anybody who doesn't remember, right. so was a con- congressman from San Diego. He was a legit war hero. You know, he was a Vietnam fighter pilot, and he was a fl- he was an ace, which meant he had gotten three or more shoot downs or kills. Right. And Duke's problem, like, it, you know, that I, I've made a specialty in like writing about insecure, immature men, and he was, um, he just could never except the fact for many years that he was never given the Medal of Honor. Mm. Now, the Medal of Honor is something you, you have to die for to get. So, you know. Is that right? Well, no, you don't have to die for it. It's, okay. But it is often given posthumously. Yeah, I've seen it given posthumously. It's for the ultimate sacrifice, right, right. you know. And so it's kind of like saying, you know, uh, you know, you should give me, um, you know, you should give, Give me the Nobel Prize or give me, I just, you know, this right, kind of right. megalomania. Anyway, that, that's the kind of person he was. And he kind of floated after military, didn't really have much to do. And he wound up getting elected to Congress, which was the worst place for somebody like him. <laughs> because, you know, Washington is filled with people. And this is their entire job. Yep. Is just to figure out how to manipulate you. Yep. Push how to your get, buttons. They have somebody paying them huge amounts of money to get some small thing that benefits them financially. And they are just like sharks circling prey. And they are looking for weak spots. And Duke Cunningham had a lot of weak spots. And he fell in with this group of contractors who were just giving him whatever he wanted. You know, a Rolls Royce. Well, first it started small. Little gifts. Uh, And then they went antique shopping. And then they went, they gave him a boat. And then he got a Rolls Royce. And ultimately, he wound up getting a mansion purchased for him, which is was was undoing. Well, yeah, that was a downfall. Yeah, because his the guy who the guy the way they got the mansion to him was they bought his old house in Del Mar for this ridiculously inflated price. Right. And he was a paranoid guy. He had bars on all the windows, so it was a weird house. Yeah. And um, so they couldn't sell it at that price. So in the middle of this red hot, it was like 2003, 2004. Ugh, that was crazy market. In the middle of this red hot market, they were they sold it for like well under purchase price, and that you know when there was the San Diego Union Tribune noticed that, and that was that was the ticket. that was what started the ball rolling. And, and it just sometimes it just takes you know you light a little match, and the whole thing just goes. Yeah, you know I don't subscribe to the all politicians are dirty. But I do subscribe to opportunities in politics can make someone on not so stable footing easily slip because you are you're definitely offered some opportunities to do some things and for your influence. Yeah. And and you the money around you is ridiculous. You know, these lobby, you know, I think this was frustrating for Duke, like he would hire some 30 year old staffer. Right. And then the guy would go get a job as a lobbyist, and he'd be living in a mansion. And Duke's like, you know, what? You know, yeah. Why don't I? Why can't I do that? And I, I don't understand. Right. You know, not, yeah. He's not wrong. You right. know, you know, why is this kid making a million bucks or five hundred thousand bucks or whatever right. it is? But yeah, it's it, the the road to corruption is is uh, is really easy to it's go down. downhill. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's greased. <laughs> yeah, and there's just so many people who've gone there. You yeah, know? Um, and it becomes like, why aren't you doing it? 
you know. See, and that's that's what I'm afraid of, and that's why I wish as a society, I don't see it happening anytime soon, but I wish as a society we would acknowledge that a lot of people don't do it. And we would acknowledge that not everybody does it so we don't make it so excusable yeah. when someone does it. Because yeah. that's what we tend to do. We say, oh, so-and-so did it, or so-and-so did it, or, or look at all these people, or everybody does it. It's true. And once we become desensitized to that, then it makes it easier for the next group to acquiesce. And what's what's the point in holding the line? What's the yeah. point in being honest if everybody's already expecting and, fig- and factoring you in as a dirty person? And that's a legit criticism of the news is that the, the, the emphasis on the negative. That yeah, oh, 100%. A, a, a lawmaker who is just living like a like, – I mean, you may not like him, but Bernie Sanders, he's gotten wealthy over time, but he lives – he doesn't he doesn't live yeah. ostentatiously. And – you know, someone like that who's just living off their congressional salary doesn't get much attention. Right. You know, but the right those sleazeball right. You know, gets all the and then that's what we see. We get beat, and it's it's everything. It's missing children. How many children go missing? Not that many, right. but we're beat over the head when they right. do. So everybody lives in fear of their kid disappearing. Right. It's the car accident. It's the immigrants that come across the border and commit a crime. Forget the million that don't commit a crime. We right. focus on the ones that do commit a crime. It's right. for you know. And I always say to people, you know, when they give a abstract anecdotal thing as well, I read about a mom who who drowned her kids in the bathtub. Yeah. Does that mean all moms, right. you know, drown right. their kids in the bathtub? Well, we need to. Yeah. Th- th- there have been like numerous attempts over the years like th- th- to start to have newspapers that only r- ran good news. And guess what? People guess don't. What yeah. Ha- people yeah, guess what it. happens to them? They go, yeah. Back, yeah, they yeah. go out of business. No one wants to read that. So. Yeah, it, it, well, if it bleeds, it leads, and yeah, you know, dumb, dumb. There's, what, there I studied was... journalism at uh, Mount Hood Community College, mm. and I remember the first day, the first class, it was super stereotypical, and he says, a dog bit a man. Is that a story? Right. And we're like, well, it depends. Where did he bite? Did he, bite, did he chew his leg off? Blah, blah, blah. And the guy says, no, it's not a story. He goes, a man bit a dog. Is that a story? And we're like, well, yeah. And he goes, Man bites dogs a story. Right. And 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 we're all like nineteen years old going, <gasps> you know? <laughs> Hoping you know, oh yeah. I get it now. Yeah. You know, which is the worst thing. Yeah. And and it's it's bad. But anyway, I don't want to get off on a media tangent. I would like to talk about you met Hugh Hefner? I talked to him on the phone. Okay. Uh, or was, interviewed, I should say. Yeah, I interviewed him. Uh so Hugh Hefner was a huge jazz fan. Oh, I did not know that. And he is he a, from Utah? He ah, see what I did there? Utah Jazz basketball. No. Oh, uh, nah. <laughs> I'm gonna put in uproarious laughter <laughs> when, I, <laughs> when I edit that in. Go on, he's a jazz fan. <laughs> All right, and um, he was a particular fan of this guitarist who was from Davenport, Iowa, and Davenport, Iowa had a jazz festival. That was not a big jazz festival by any stretch, but right. it was it was centered around this guy. It was like Bix Spider Bick or Bix something like that. And, I'll look it up. Yeah, and and so I just called up, I just reached out to Play Playboy and I said, "Would Mr. Hefner like to do an interview?" And they said, and then I got a call like, "This is Hugh Hefner." And, yeah, and we talked for an hour about jazz and uh, you know, and the one the the one thing I remember from that interview was like. You know there was there's a romantic quality to this music that seems to have disappeared. It's like, yeah, dude, guess who's responsible for <laughs> <you know? laughs> the death of romance? Yeah, yeah. I guess who had a lot to do with that? You That's know, I didn't funny. Say, I didn't say. No, that. of course not. <laughs> That's funny. Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson. So that was when I was in Sacramento. I I was doing a lot. There was a 
uh, a woman who was doing this protest at the time, and she was camped out in this tree. And she I remember those to, remember that those? time. I remember there was several there was all these logging protests right. and stuff, and and Woody Harrelson was was getting arrested. He he got arrested on the Golden. They were stopped logging, and he got arrested on the Golden Gate Bridge. And so I called him up, and um, and we did a you know again another phoner about right. about that. But I remember while I was talking to him. The U.S. launched missiles at this, like to Somali or something like that. Holy cow! And I cow. was talking to Woody. I was like, "What do you know that we just like?" So that was, <laughs> that's the only thing I remember from the whole interview. Is that, oh wow! So he's not that memorable. He was. He, nah, he right. was passionate about it, and he yeah. was, he was a yeah. nice guy. But um, yeah, when you're watching war, yeah, if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah, I got. We got. We got. Uh, well, he had been also in that movie. Uh, uh, Natural born killers. No, is it called? Man bites dog or do- what is that? Wag the dog. Wag you the wag dog. the dog. Wag the dog. Yeah, which was about this like right. a phony war, right? Yeah, that it started. Yep. And I was we that's started... that's really ironic. So we started talking or about coincidental, that. I guess. Yeah, oh, exactly. really? You did? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. Uh, that's a good movie, by the way. It is. It's a. It's it's funny though. It's that in uh, House of Cards is another one that's really good. But people watch this and they say, "Oh, that's how it really is." Well, it it is, but it it really isn't. That whole war thing is exaggerated, and it's not. You know that's not exactly how it happens, right. but there are elements of it that happen. And but you but people see that and they yeah. just assume that's how life works. Uh, G. Gordon Liddy, oh, yeah. I said he liked your work. Well, I have a soft spot in my heart for G. Gordon Liddy. So, <laughs> do you, anybody who doesn't know, he's one of the Watergate burglars, uh, and famously, he was the only one in Watergate who refused to rat out anybody, and so he went to prison for that, and he just did his time. And he be, kind of became a hero to right. people after that because he was like the one stand-up guy. Right. And uh, so he was, I mean, his whole life was lived in the shadow of Watergate after that. Yeah. And there was a trial in Baltimore when I was there for the AP. And, and it had to do with Watergate. It was some conspiracy theory and that he was promoting. Oh. Basically, John Dean, who was Nixon's right. uh, White House counsel at the time, G. Gordon Liddy was pushing this theory that the whole Watergate break-in was to get uh, evidence that showed that John Dean's wife was a prostitute, <laughs> yeah. which which John Dean, understandably, yeah. made him crazy. Yeah, and he's still married to this woman, and <laughs> and she, I mean she was beautiful, and and but they're still married, and so he was like just outraged, so he sued for libel, and this was a libel trial in Baltimore, and and G. Gordon Liddy was the defendant. And uh, so I covered that and, and I was just writing stuff from the uh, courthouse every day. And then one day, you know, I got I got out late and he's standing in the street out there and he, he literally was wearing a trench coat. He's like, <laughs> of course he and was. And he was older then, but he's still a, like a powerful presence. Yeah. You know, he's a big dude. Yeah. And he just has this era of like or a menace. Like yeah. he will mess you up, you yeah. know. And so he comes, he walks, he sees me and he starts walking towards me. Oh. And, uh, and and then he stops me. And now, he goes, are you writing opinion pieces or are you writing no, just, just like, you know, just what happened in the trial? Yeah, this is what uh, the, the, right, the, right. this evidence, okay. this witness testified this. No opinion. Nothing. Right. OK. Um, and he comes up and he goes, Hatena. I'm like, yes, I like your stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Now, my favorite G. Gordon Liddy story that has nothing to do with me. But that he actually was going to be Clarence Beeks in the movie Trading Places, the insider trading. No way. Yes. He he read for the piece. He was given 
the part. And then he read the whole script, and at the end where Beeks gets violated by a gorilla, he didn't want any part of that. And he said, and it's just funny because you want to say, dude, you know you're not really having sex with a gorilla, right? Right. I mean, (laughs) right. But so if you watch Trading Places, oh, that's great. Beeks is reading G. Gordon Liddy's autobiography on the train Uh, as a dig uh, slash homage. So, oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, I can, you know, just from the little I know about him, I could see him having an objection to that. He's yeah. just very careful about how he was presented yeah. and how he carried himself. Because, and... I mean, the movie, other than that scene, doesn't paint Beaks as, you right. know, right. anything. Let's see, your current piece that you're working on is a little Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. No, that, uh, that came out of... Mayor. Yeah, that came out a while back, but it... Um, it, it uh, it got some it got some attention you know uh, i grew up in new york and, and people who in new york have a certain perception of rudy but you know i realized living here in san diego outside of new york people see still see him to some degree on, on as a hero from 9-11 what do people in new york say well right? you know it... people in new york have kind of lived with him for a long time when he was mayor there and he was kind of a well let me put it this way on September 10th, Rudy was a deeply unpopular mayor and, oh. and not well liked. On September 12th, he was like the, America's mayor. Yeah, and and justifiably so. Like he stepped into that moment, yeah. and you know George Bush was. I don't know if you remember this. He was like climbing into a bunker and stuff yeah. and flying yeah. around. And Rudy's just there and standing tall. Yeah. No, that I remember. And, and yeah, and everybody remembers that, and it's seared into your memory if you lived it through 9/11, and then. You know, you know what happens to Rudy. He kind of fades, you know, from most part, from at least from San Diego's point of view. You know, he runs for president, so people maybe see him again, and then all of a sudden he just shows up again, and he's on TV. He's in the middle of an impeachment. He's got this hair dye dripping down. He's, oh, that was he's, awful. He's he's saying and acting unhinged, crazy, crazy. Yeah. And the question I was trying to answer is like, what happened to him? Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a complicated picture that, you know, he was basically my take is that he what happened on September 11th is that he got a taste of uh, fame and ag- it was like a rock star. Yeah, I mean, he, literally, he was, was exalted. The, yeah. And he, there was a concert at Madison Square Garden and the Rolling Stones are there and the Who and all these people. And he comes out and he gets this just like, wow, ovation. God, I'd love to have that moment. Well, yeah, but it can destroy you. Oh, I know. Because... It, would, it would destroy me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I probably, you know, this is something celebrities deal with. Yeah. It's like whenever you walk in somewhere, people just stand up and applaud. I mean, yeah. that will mess with your head. Yeah. And I think it messed with him. And he was always trying to get back. He was always chasing that high. Yeah. And he could never get there. You and... C- and you can't. At some things, you have to acknowledge are a peak and that it'll never be that good again. But that's a, that's a hard, you know, that's a hard... If, if oh, you're yeah. someone who's, you know, the saying about Rudy Giuliani in New York was that the most dangerous place in New York to be was between Rudy Giuliani and a microphone. <laughs> and he was always kind of just looking for applause. Right. You know, and he got the, he got the applause. But hmm. it kind of destroyed him. Well, it's... Um, yeah, the most dangerous place in La Mesa is between me and a microphone. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that that's now being made into a documentary. It was based on your work, is that? Yeah, yeah. So that's they're awesome. Trying to, yeah, thank you. So they're they're uh, g- probably going to expand on it, but I'm uh, 
I'm all new to all these terms now, but producing, I guess. Is wow, look so at you. I don't even know what that means, but nah. I think what I'm doing is lining up people to be in the documentary, okay. and that's what a producer does. So. People that you have interviewed in the past? Yep. Okay. Yep. So a lot of my sources that I kind of cultivated just over time. So when I watch this, yes. it's going to say producer or associate producer. Be honest. Or, the well, what I really don't want to say is consultant. That's like, or or special yeah. thanks to. Yeah, oh, no. <laughs> that's like down yeah, the pecking. There are all these, to... you know, pecking order. People fight viciously over these it little is titles and movies. Yeah. It is crazy. But that's that's awesome. That's really cool. It's got to be exciting. Do you do you have much input in terms of content or? I think so. I'm going to be part of the interviewing. And, nice. Yeah, it'll be like a... Um, told through people who know him and maybe even him if he cooperates now has rolling stone done this is funded and what is it sponsored paid for whatever they say by rolling stone are yeah, they so, producing it so you mentioned that the penske family had taken right. over rolling stone so they've expanded rolling stone used to just be itself and maybe men's journal and one other magazine right they've they've brought in a whole bunch of magazines now hollywood hmm. reporter and other ones i don't know about that i should know but i don't <laughs> And they've also have this joint venture with a movie production company. Uh, have you seen that show Ozark? Oh yeah. So th there's a co the, the company that produced Ozark is producing this Get film. Get out of yeah. here! And they have a nonfiction division. Wow. Yeah. Wait, Ozark's nonfiction? No. I'm uh, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, got, you got me on that one. Gotcha. Ozark. Ozark is. Uh, yeah. Ozark's the stra good. Uh, the Stranger. Did you see that one? Stranger Things? No, it was the a Stephen Billy King. Billy Joel? It was on HBO. It was a Stephen King, uh, I think it's called The Stranger. Hmm. The Outsider, sorry. The Outsider. Yes, I did see The Outsider. Yes. That was good. Yeah, that was really good, too. Good, right? Dark. Yeah. Wow. You're in a rare era working with some of these people. That's pretty good. Yeah, so we'll see. And uh, I don't think it'll be as, uh, you know, no. upsetting as Ozark. But no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ozark, for all you people out there, I almost spoiled it. Watch Ozark. It's good. It's, uh, yeah, it's well done. Money Laundering moves to... The Wire and Ozark. So those are the two reviews you're getting from this show today. And put them on your list if you haven't watched them. And if you have watched them, watch them again. Because yes. they're definitely worth rewatching. All right. We are going to take our last commercial break. And we're going to thank Morning Briefing Coffee. When you need to get your day started, Morning Briefing, roasted locally here in La Mesa. Check them out at morningbriefingcoffee.com. Mm. God damn, Jimmy. This some serious gourmet shit. Me and Vincent would have been satisfied with some freeze-dried tasty's choice, right? <laughs> Nice brings this serious gourmet shit on. What flavor is this? Like it off, Chewy. What? I don't need you to tell me how good my coffee is, okay? I'm the one who buys it. I know how good it is. Bonnie goes shopping, she buys shit. I buy the morning briefing. Because when I drink it, I want to taste it. When you want to taste your coffee, when you want that serious gourmet coffee, the best part of waking up coffee, good to the last drop, tastes as good as it smells, you'll always want a second cup coffee. When you want that, get locally roasted morning breathing coffee right here in La Mesa. He makes custom blends and you always get top quality fresh coffee. Morning breathing coffee, when you want that gourmet And we are back with movie producer Seth Atena. He's doing uh, the people who did Ozark are doing his... Rudy Giuliani piece. That should be exciting. Rolling Stones spreading their wings a little bit. Now, it's all been fun and game so far, but I might mix in some super sad music here as we talk about the depths. Yeah. The depths of my yes. soul. 
Um, you said, without any prompting, that you had or have... Had. Had, okay. A pot problem. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I tell did. me tell me a little bit about that. Well, uh, I've, I've never talked about this oh, uh, wow. publicly before, so... Um, say Just say what you're comfortable with. Don't say... Because everything you use... I hope you cry, to be honest. And open up. No, I, you know, I listen. I listen to some of your other podcasts, and some of your guests were being pretty open, and I, and I hope it helps people. I, that's a hundred percent. And my whole feeling is talk about everything, and yeah. then you know that yeah. way it's it's easier for the next person to talk. Yeah, about I mean, it. we can just yeah chit chat, but you know, it's anyway. Um, so yeah, I, so I mentioned earlier, I kind of grew up. Uh, I was kind of a very over sheltered, overprotected kid, and I, I had zero social skills. I, you can argue I still have zero. I was going to say, and okay, that's changed. That, but <laughs> but uh, uh, whatever, you know, whatever meager social skills I have now, I didn't have any then. So, you know, in college, weed was like a door opener for me and much more so than alcohol or anything else. Hmm. And I just became kind of like a social kind of lubricant, I guess you could say, like uh, the way alcohol is for a lot of people. Yeah. And um, so, did you start weekly? Did you start no, just at a party it, once a month? Did you start? No, it became daily. You know, I mean, at the beginning, like when not, you smoked, not at the beginning, right? It when you like the a, first time you smoked pot, I was at a party, yeah. And you said, "Hey, I like this." Yeah, well, and who, you know, right. sure, I get it. Yeah, but for me, it's just like a switch went on, and I was just like, I can talk to people. I can, you okay. know, and and so uh, it was a it was a weird confidence booster for me. You know that that all of a sudden I could just uh, I could just it became like the social organizer kind of. Yeah. I don't know, not, um, Seth Rogen said something. Not Seth Rogen. Yes, Seth Rogen said something similar in an NPR interview the other day. That, yeah. That he couldn't function around people, and then he started smoking pot, and suddenly yes, he could function around people. That that's kind of how it was. And and but the problem for me was what started. Uh, you know what, what might have been fine in a college situation right it didn't stop and it continued like uh you know after college and then in my you know as a, like a young adult now and working and it's continuing it just it just never stopped and so i would go through periods where i would stop for a while and what's a while a couple of months maybe okay. or something and then uh you know again i would it would find its way back to me i was always kind of around people who smoked pot? We were working at Rolling Stone. Oh, well, I guess not at the time. You're AP no. with that. But journalists, you know, it's yeah. Uh, yeah. You guys are all potheads. <laughs> and uh, and you know, so it just kind of it just kind of continued and continued and 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 uh, until you know I had my first kid and it's still going on. And oh wow, so yeah, so so I mean I and so this was about ten years ago. About ten years ago, I just that's after your second kid. Yeah. Oh wow! After my second one, and then my wife kind of had a, we had a, I had a come to Jesus moment, and my wife kind of called me out, and it's like, you need to choose, you know, which is more important to you, your family or pot. And now, then, did she smoke? Yeah, I mean, recreationally every now and then. Yeah, maybe once a year, or yeah. once every. Okay. Uh, and you were sparking up every day. Uh, well, not always, but I mean, I've I've gone through periods where I have, yeah, mm. for sure. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was also a way of self-medicating, right? So uh, yeah. when I'm dealing with depression or, or yeah. you know, whatever other stuff is going on, um, and, and, you know, 
it, there's something like there's something kind of embarrassing about saying it because pot is supposed to be this non-addictive non-addictive right. and it's and there's something pathetic about saying that but i really don't i really do think it can be addictive and um, interesting not in the sense that you are craving it the way you are heroin where you're um you know your body alcohol or alcohol or cocaine I mean, or anything or like that. Uh, caffeine but they they say it's psychologically addictive and i yeah. and i think that's right so you say you think you were psychologically addicted I you think so you, and you think it got to the point where you were so comfortable and so good in your own skin when you were medicated that when you weren't medicated correct that so you felt, it, it reversed itself it's right. exactly right so you felt like you had to get medicated to get right that that it became like the comfort uh, like a comfort blanket that mm -hmm. it was like a safe space where i could escape from whatever i was you know now it, you said you went cold turkey just stop yeah your wife said stop my wife's no she didn't say stop she, she said, said you need choose, to choose yeah which means stop i mean if you choose pot over your kids dude well you wouldn't be here right <laughs> right exactly. you certainly wouldn't be here on this podcast and you wouldn't although actually maybe well, I, if you know somebody who's given up their children for marijuana, please give them my number. And what? <laughs> well, because <laughs> it'd know, be an interesting story. It would be, but you know, I, 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 I mean, the, part of the reason why I want to bring this up because I, I have mixed feelings about marijuana being, you know, so readily available. It, now. it is accessible. It is really accessible, and I, and I don't think. Matter it's, of fact, you want a gummy? I got. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I don't think. Oh, it's, guys, his eyes lit up. He's. <laughs> <laughs> slowly crawling <laughs> right must have gummy he's taking the gummy uh, <laughs> uh but you know I, I i there's there's this attitude that there's that you can just that is risk-free yeah know? and i don't think that's right i think that there are and i think for some people you know this wasn't the case for me but i think there it can open doors that you don't want to open yeah i think that's true of alcohol i think it's true of gambling i think that's true of a lot of things that Many, 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 many people can smoke pot or have a gummy or do whatever. Yeah. And do it once a week, once a month, once a year. Right. And and some people can't. Right. And I think that's everything. I think that, you know, when people minimize alcoholism or people minimize caffeine or gambling addictions or, you know, I, everybody's different. Everybody's wired different. Right. And if that is your trigger to take you to a happy place, you know... It, the the challenge then becomes, and I'm curious as to how you, how you got to that happy place and that productive place without it. And um... well, yeah. So the tr my trick was is that you've got to replace your addictions with healthier addictions. Yes, that's so. Like I just became like really into fitness, and oh. not, not... he's taking not... off his shirt, folks. <laughs> Six well, pack. Could... Holy crap! When did Brad Pitt get here? Well, <laughs> yeah. I, as I'm saying this, just. If this was a TV, people would be laughing at me because now you know, but you know, but yeah, yeah, I got really into fitness. I just got went to the gym regularly. I mm -hmm. just got really into it, and um, you know, I, I I still get addicted to stupid little games on my phone or things like that. But they're much more. I just I limit the damage that I can cause. Yeah, it's yeah. basically. Um, when you went to the gym, did that give you that same sense? It kind of did. It yeah. did. Okay. It kind of did that. Uh, you get those endorphin rushes. Right. I, Did you ever at any point say, I, I'd really like to get high. <sighs> I'm going to go to the gym. 
I mean, was it that kind of stark choice, or did you just fill the time that you might be getting high by exercising so you didn't have the free time? And it's just, just building routines yeah. that uh, just structure your life differently. And also, yeah. my friends changed. Um, you know, I, I don't have pothead friends uh, anymore, really. And well, so, you threw really. That means there's a couple of you out there. You know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they are, they're not. They're you know, I mean, and and now people, you know, my life who use it, they just know like you know that I'm not. Available. That's good. So people are respectful. And they don't do yeah, it around and I, you. Know, you know, I've been offered it, and I'll just say, look, I could, I, I would enjoy it. I'd have a great time, right. and then maybe in a month from now, I'll be like, you know, I had a great time. I, I, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna do that again. I'm gonna get it again, and then uh, a week from then, I'll be like, right. you know, what's the harm? And then. Boom. Back into you know, the circle. And, and I and maybe I'm wrong, but I really don't want to find out. Right. You know. Now do you you say you have these friends. These friends know they the friends who know don't offer you, do they? Or or do they? I mean they may they, they maybe they just say, Look, I don't want you to feel like I'm holding out, but if you if you want it, right, you know, right. it's available, but you know. Okay. It's legal. You can walk into a store in La Mesa, was it uh cookies, cookies. cookies. and and say and you can it's just still, it's mind-boggling to me. Totally. You can buy marijuana. Totally. And there are people <laughs> who went to prison for a long time. Yes. Because for, of that. Yeah. For decades. You know. Yeah. 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 And, but, I, but, I, but I, you know, just to come back to my experience, like that, that I... No, this isn't about you anymore. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, it's, it's, it's compulsive. Like you get, you, there's, a, there's a place you get in yourself yeah. where, um, you know, you feel safe and however you get there and whether it's the gambling or yeah. weed or whatever yeah and and it and it and becomes like a home and it, you know you know and it'd be hard to leave I, I i mean i totally get it see the thing about gambling for me was the the times that actually helped me get over it is because i would go to the atm and i have like three different bank cards you know so i can get my 200 dollars a day on each card or whatever yeah. it was and I'd say, okay, when I lose this, I'm going here. And it just became almost just accepted that I was going to lose everything I had. And I was just miserable all the time. Yeah. I'm like, this isn't fun. Because when I started gambling, and when I gamble now, I'll go and throw some money on red on the roulette wheel. And I'll right. sit down and play a little blackjack. And then I'll go maybe sit in a poker game for a couple hours right. and just and just play and hope I get good cards. And hopefully, right. you know, I, I, I don't try and outplay anybody at the poker table. I don't right. try and outbox the casino. Right. And because now I just do it. And it's fun. And it's it's a that's lark. Our, and and sometimes you win be. some money and sometimes you don't. And right. It's, but it's not like it's not the prison. But you know what? You know what it really boils down to is knowing yourself. Like if you yeah. know yourself and, you you know, there's a line in Clint Eastwood movie like uh, a man's got to know his limitations. Yes. Yes. And I, and I think about that all the time. I think that's so true. It I think you have to know your time. limitations. Yeah. And it takes you a long time. Yeah. But you have to admit that you're vulnerable. Right. And, and that's, that's, it that's, got to the point, not only I skipped past learning I was vulnerable and felt inevitable that just this whole spiral was inevitable and, and just started questioning, why am I doing this? Yeah. You know, why am I doing this? And then luckily, I mean, again, it could have, and again, this was before I was married. Right. Uh, you know, I, I had met my wife. We had we had probably been living together at, at some point during my gambling days. And I, but I can gamble. We we used to have a two or three times a year card game where yeah. we all get together and play. And yeah. uh, I can like we go to Vegas. I'll, I'll sit down and play. But I'm um, but I'm I am the guy who says, okay, I have like a hundred dollars, and if this is gone, then I'm done. That's how I look at it. It's yeah. like I'm going to lose this hundred dollars, right. and however yeah. long it lasts, that's right. great. 
and that's that's where I am. Okay, well, let's get into some of the light stuff. Um, speaking of addictions, Clash Royale. Clash Royale. <laughs> well, this is one of my uh, safety valves here. So, okay. Yeah. My kids, my kids got me to this stupid <laughs> game. I can't stop playing. Uh, what is it? Talk me into it. How do, uh, how do you play? So what pathetic. Is... <laughs> you really want to go into this? I, just a nutshell. I don't want right. to detail well, you, strategy you or anything. characters that you play, and they fight each other. The other guy has other characters. and Oh, so it's interactive. So you're playing interactive. against so, yeah, you're someone. Playing, you're playing someone okay. somewhere. And usually I'm probably playing eight-year-old children. But... <laughs> and losing. <laughs> and losing. <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and oh, is it like a Clash of the Clans? Yeah, it's, it's in that family. It's in the same, same okay. company. Yeah. Okay. Same dumb idea. See, and I know I can't play that. I can't because I would well yeah. want to be the. Ch- oh, what was it? Fortnite. I watched my kids play Fortnite a couple times, and I saw they got super addicted. And I'm like, I could do this, and I could win. <laughs> and I said, No, I'm not, because I know if I play, and it's devious. Yes. You know, there's my kids. Uh, my kids are on t- like I'm sure like all kids are sure. on, t- on TikTok all the time. And one of the one of the things they showed me, there's a, a senior citizen, this woman, she must be 60 years or 70 years old, and she's really good at um, Call of Duty Cold War, uh-huh. and she's just like scoping people out <laughs> and shooting them, and she's like, got them, and, you know, <laughs> and they call her like Granny something, and right. she's really good, she, she streams, she's very funny. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, you do some woodworking. I do. Yeah. Well, I, I, I used to. Uh, you don't do it much? I don't do it much anymore, but for I was doing it steadily for several years okay. and had a good little shop going. Do you, you have a, do you still have all your tools in there? I still have my tools. So okay. you ever want to make yeah, some wood? Cut some wood. Yeah. Let me know. <laughs> you made a Morris chair, oh, yeah. which was popularized in the movie Purple Rain by Morris Day and the Time. <laughs> is that correct? No, that is no. not correct. <laughs> what, what's a Morris chair? A Morris chair. I'm sure you've seen it. It's a beautiful chair. It's It's a oak chair and it's got these kind of curved all oh, the big arms the big curved arms okay. yeah and they're big heavy chairs and they're beautiful and you made it it's that was like my white whale that was okay like, yeah that was like it took me a year or something to make. really yeah it, it was a lot of work but that's it, awesome it still sits in my living room so do you, i mean is it functional yeah, furniture no, okay so yeah it's, the, the, it's not I, decoration you i will say my kids are screwed because i made all this furniture and they're not gonna be able to throw it away <laughs> right like oh, right. dad made that you yeah know, i'm stuck with that stupid thing now, right you know. yeah that's funny so now let's do a little uh this or that and give you a couple choices ask some questions find out about your insights and your personal things let's see how about musically john lennon or bob dylan uh, that's a tough one, but I would go Bob Dylan, hands down. And why? What's your What's your favorite Dylan cut? Well, I, I mean, we can have a long discussion about Bob Dylan. No, but... just a short one, just. To... <laughs> but uh, like '70s Bob Dylan, that's my sweet spot. That's there. a jam. Like Blood on the tracks, uh, Desire, those okay. are my, those are my go-to's. And you put them higher on the list than John Lennon. Yeah, 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 I do. No, I mean, I, it's, know, it's your list. I mean, you're not. If yeah. you were to talk about, well, Dylan, of course, could be on anybody's pantheon. But if you if you want to talk about musical impact or whatever, that's a different list. I'm talking right. about your list. No, no, I, like I will listen to Dylan. I don't listen to John Lennon that much. Okay, the Beatles. I, I mean, I yeah, I love the Beatles. Yeah, I'm not you know, against okay. the Beatles, but uh, again, the Beatles are like it's like um, at some point you've heard that album and yeah. those tracks so many times I, it, it's 
Bob Dylan has more to listen to. There's more, and there's more it's a deeper catalog. And he's just gone through so many different phases. Like he's he started out as a folk singer. He's now he's a blues singer. He was something else. He's a rock singer. So he, there's a lot there. Yeah. If you just stick to the Beatles and their releases, not the individual releases of the members after they broke up, the Beatles had 21 studio albums compared to 39 Bob Dylan studio albums. The Beatles also had five live albums compared to 12 live albums by Bob Dylan. Pretty crazy. Dylan also had 20 box sets to the Beatles 17. So Dylan was a more prolific music maker, Dylan versus the Beatles. But of course, if you figure in Paul McCartney and John Lennon and George Harrison and Ringo Starr, then it's a little different. But I had no idea Dylan was so prolific. Warren Zevon or Johnny Cash? Oh, oh that's tough. Uh, I, I, I could tie. I mean, he has no ties. I have to choose? Yep. Now, here's my method of choosing. Flip a coin, and as soon as you flip it, you kind of subconsciously know what you want it to be. Um... I, I slightly lean towards Warren Zevon just because I, I think he's I like his sense of humor. Okay. Cash wasn't known for his humor. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. The Modern Lovers or the White Stripes? Ah, oh, dude, what, what, where, how do you get these? This I, is like killing dude, me. Here. I'm telling you, I do it. I do my homework. You do, this I don't. Is, just, you, are you in my playlist? That's What's right. Going on? <laughs> oh boy. Um, I, I probably the white stripes by okay. air. Okay. Um, the Aztecs are playing Kansas in basketball. You're watching it alone. Who are you cheering for? <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me make it's it easier. You're watching it with your wife. You're watching it with your wife. Who are you cheering for? <laughs> I probably would root because San Diego would be the underdog. So okay. Here, now your wife went to Kansas. Yes. Big big Jayhawk fan, I yes. assume. Okay. And I do like the Jayhawks. But yeah. they always break your heart, the Jayhawks. Yeah. Not always. Three times they didn't. Yeah. But they're always Manning. Was it Danny Manning like and the Miracles? two or one seed, and then they just yeah. flame out. Deep dish, or th- Deep dish or thin crust pizza? Uh, thin crust. Thin crust. Oh, that's interesting. New York style. Okay. Boo. Chicago style. No. Godfather versus, Godfather versus Goodfellas. Godfather. Oh, without hesitation. Yeah. Jeopardy versus Wheel of Fortune. Jeopardy. Mm, look at you. Check out the big brain on Seth. <laughs> What's your favorite guilty fast food? Um, well, I had it today. Probably Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A? Yeah. Right, what do you get? Just the basic sandwich? Spice, spicy chicken sandwich. Spicy chicken. All right. Waffle fries. You know, the waffle fries are good. I ooh, Don't even get me started because I'm trying since my doctor's appointment two weeks ago. No fast food for a while, and yeah. the waffle the, the waffle fry is the most compelling fry ever since McDonald's fries went downhill. The McDonald's fries used to be they used to be the the, the bar, yeah, the the golden arches, so to speak. Yeah. Let's see, favorite ice cream flavor. Oh, um, I would probably go uh, cookie dough, chocolate co- chocolate cookie. Is that what's called chocolate, chocolate chip cookie dough? Chocolate chip cookie dough. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. Your favorite Tarantino movie. I'm probably gonna say I'm gonna say Pulp Fiction would probably okay. stand out. But um, did I, did he? You know, True Romance. He wrote that. He wrote it. So and I don't that consider is, that doesn't I count. I love that movie. Me too. Me that too. Although that movie, film. I remember clearly watching that movie, and then my wife, 
I don't know if we were married yet at the time or not, but her parents came to visit. And I'm like, we should watch this movie. It's a really good movie. There's a lot more sex than I... <laughs> See, I, I wouldn't remember that either. Right. And when you're watching with your in-laws, though... I just remember Gary Old. Is that Gary yes. Old with his tooth? Yeah. It just yep. freaked me out. Yeah. Yeah, the story... Oh, that that's a good... And uh, Brad Pitt was in that. Yeah, Brad Pitt. Stoner on the couch. Was... um. Oh, what's her name? Jackie Brown? Was that him too, or is that Pam Greer? Is Jackie Brown Quentin Tarantino, or is that yeah? Jackie else? Brown is Tarantino. But that's another one of my favorites. Uh, so your kids are grown. So I I am yeah, limited you're by in that window. I have an yep. eleven year old. Yep. I can't put yep. on like head splattering right violence. Yeah. Uh, when the kids are awake, so yeah, that's that's a tough window. In a couple years, you'll be in a spot to share with them, and then totally that's a good spot. Well, to be can in. I tell you my? My biggest parenting fail is my son must have been 14, 13, and we watched Game of Thrones. Okay. <laughs> well, and, that has it all. Sex, violence. <laughs> and then my wife would come in on just some of the of course. most graphic <laughs> sex scenes. And she's like, "What? why are you watching this? And, in your and, eyes, like, oh. and you're trying to minimize. You're trying not to overreact like, and you know change yeah, the channel. And yeah. Then, oh, it's terrible. That's, that's a fail. Yes. So... He seemed to have survived, so. Yeah, and they do. And they'll watch stuff, you know, we watched, well, you might not have. You were kind of sheltered and overprotected, but trust me, those years, we find a lot of stuff. Let's see, what's your favorite mob movie? Uh, well, I, Probably Godfather. Well, Godfather will be up there. Godfather yeah. 2 is great, too. Yeah. Um, you know what's a it's, it gets doesn't get mentioned but Miller's Crossing is uh, you know that's you're funny I was talking to somebody else about Miller's Crossing yeah. oh maybe it was you yeah <laughs> <laughs> it was the cover and the promotion yeah. that just didn't draw me in and I'm so glad I watched it so it's anybody out movie. there it's a good mob movie it's Miller's a great Crossing. mob movie yeah check it out what's your favorite sports movie ooh um, and if you want to go with like honorable mention by sports yeah well, you know we just watched Rocky just to get just just put it on and that holds up it does hold up i mean that is a good film the rest of it you know it goes downhill really right. fast two two was okay two was still in the yeah yeah and yeah. then yeah and then it's just off the cliff um uh let me think about this for a second um you know hoop dreams uh the hoop documentary dreams is, good. Is, is like heartbreaking yeah it's a great film yeah um you know the uh, i like documentaries a lot the espn so, 30 for 30s and the 30s those are okay. I'm gonna we're gonna take those out. That'll be a separate conversation. <laughs> but the um, the Michael Jordan film I'm spacing on on the uh, Space Jam. No, 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 no. The the, <laughs> the documentary series. They just oh, uh, Last Dance. Last Dance. Yeah. That was oh, and I got oh, I'll tell you what my favorite. Okay. Okay. It is uh, When We Were Kings. That is phenomenal. That is it's Muhammad Ali for those of you who don't know, and and the the rise of Don King. Yes. Don King and the subsequent downfall of boxing because of don king yeah and hunter s thompson's uh, yeah yeah i mean yeah but that is there's just an astonishing scene after that fight where he goes out in the streets of where is he right nigeria Uh, zaire zaire yeah yeah, in congo and 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 the people are just mobbing i mean it's just a beautiful well and even in the training leading up to it ali boomaye ali boomaye that's it yeah and you're you're just there yeah in it can i and then go ahead no go ahead I was gonna say you're the way everything is kind of more produced now. Even when they get behind like a big fight or give you quote the inside, 
it's for camera angles, it's right. filters, it's this and that. I mean, you the feel slow like... slow motion jumping rope. Right. Yeah. You feel like you're in it with Ali and uh, Frazier and the whole thing. Totally. With everybody. Well, Foreman, yeah. The, the, um, Foreman, yeah, Foreman, Foreman. Yeah, yeah. It, Frazier was the thrill of Manila. Frazier was the thrill of Manila. Right. And then but Foreman. The, um, you know, there's a weird, like, to come back to Rolling Stone, uh, this story doesn't get mentioned much, but they sent Hunter S. Thompson there to cover this fight. And um, he was so convinced, and probably the whole world was, he was so convinced that Ali was going to lose yeah. that he didn't go to the fight. No. Yes. And he is in the pool, like, with uh, drunk and whatever, high probably. <laughs> and uh, he was just convinced that Ali was going to lose. And, of course, you know, I'm not, you know. It's spoiler alert, right? Yeah, it happened. Spoiler yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> but um, that kind of set, that kind of wrecked his career. Like, he... Really? Uh, yeah, he kind of withdrew from that and had a hard time like coming back after that. Yeah. Wow. Uh my one of my earliest sports memories is Ali Frazier won and I asked my dad went to the, the closed circuit, you know, they used to do them in the movie theaters yeah. and everything and yeah. and I waited up and waited up and I'm like, you know, who won? And he says Joe Farmer Frazier. My dad was a big Ali guy. Yeah. And and I I'll, I'll never forget they called him Farmer and I'm like why do you call him farmer? Because he's a farmer, you know. <laughs> well, you know that story that Ali uh, taunted him, like he called him a gorilla. Yeah, yeah. I mean, famously, like, yeah. and, and Frazier never forgave him for that. Yeah, no, he didn't. Frazier mocked him at the Olympics. Did you see when Ali? No. Ali had his Parkinson's had set With in, torch, and, yeah. and he lit the torch, and he was shaking. And Joe Frazier, in an interview, goes, "Oh, you see Muhammad Ali, and and he's mimicking the shaking and the oh. thing." And I'm like, dude, <laughs> and that's. And and they they made up. There's a good there's a good piece out there. I can't remember what it is about them taking pictures and meeting and talking and forgiving each other and coming yeah. together. And it's really powerful. And ugh, look it up, folks. Yeah, uh, but it's they, really good. Well, they, I, they fought three times. I think. Yeah, right? they did. They fought. Three I think times. the third one. I mean, they would go 15 rounds yeah. in those days, which is yeah. insane. And they boxed back then. They didn't hide. I mean, it was. I, and Joe Frazier could knock down a, a building with yeah. his hooks. And, yeah. And uh, you know. That third fight, I think Ali said, like, is the closest he ever came to death. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That was, oof, those are, that was. That was something else. That was good stuff. Favorite boxer all time. Wasn't on my list, but. My favorite boxer? Uh, you know, I'm a big boxing fan, actually. Okay. Um, I mean, Ali, just for, I mean, I I can give you different Lore, weight classes. Sure. But, you know, like, right now, Canelo is, I think, really special to watch. I think he is, too. Um, and I just wish he'd fight more. And there's a guy, uh, Lomachenko. Have you, yeah. you ever seen yeah, him yeah. fight? Lomachenko, he's good. And he is just spectacular to watch. I really like Fun. the technical fighters. You know? Yeah. Um, they're more... Well, it's funny because you like Sugar Ray Leonard? Versus... Oh, sure. Okay, because he was, I mean, I was always a Hearns or Hagler I, well, guy. Hearns with that right hand was. Yeah, just... Hearns and Hagler were. were I mean, Hearns, that, that, I mean, he was just like dynamite in his hands with it. Yeah. He was so fast. And Those day... And then you had. Uh... Duran, and you had, I mean, Alexis Arguello and Aaron Pryor, and I mean, they're all these great. Well, the Kearns Hagler fight. That yeah, that's like, nine minutes like two of rounds torture. Or something yeah, like that, three, right? three. It was the third. Yeah, it yeah. ended in the third. It's nine minutes of. And they just came out like yeah, yeah they did a whole fight in like nine minutes. Yeah, and they fought nonstop. Yeah. I mean, I, I've and it even now I watch it knowing having watched it a hundred times. Yeah, you're waiting for them to to take a step back and it's like neither one of them ever takes a step back they They're hated just, each other yeah they just pound each other that's a good stuff yeah now uh boxing talk with seth attention <laughs> <laughs> um well it makes my last question kind of stupid but 
nacho cheese or cool ranch doritos <laughs> <laughs> that's a good segue there yeah i'm a professional professional <laughs> uh cool ranch cool ranch okay one of the things i like to do to, to sign off and and say goodbye is you've committed a capital crime and you have a final movie to watch a final meal to eat while you watch the movie and then you sit down and get strapped in the chair and you put on headphones and you play a song that sends you off to the afterlife. What's your what's your movie, your meal, and your song? Um I would say movie probably I'd probably go with The Godfather, just because okay. it's everything is in that movie, I think. Uh, meal, you know, since it's my last one, I'm going steak. I'm going with a lot of butter. <laughs> uh, I'm just going big rib, big ribeye steak. Okay. Any uh, sides? Well, sure. If you're gonna give me sides, yeah, get whatever you want. I'll your take, last meal. I'll take potatoes. I'll okay. Take, I'll take all the bad stuff. You know? All right. All right. <laughs> I don't care at this point. Yeah, you're not counting calories or cholesterol. And a nice and, and a nice uh, wine to go with it. Okay. Know? Dessert. Dessert. Uh, I'm, well, I'll probably be pretty full, but you will be full in my last meal. So what the heck? <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm a, I'll I'll go with the chocolate cake. You know? Okay. Even one from Costco. I love the Costco. Cho- Costco chocolate cakes. That's the first person who said anything from Costco from the electric chair. Congratulations. <laughs> well, that's the thing in my family. We like that's our everyone's birthday. We get each other chocolate. Really? From chocolate. Costco. They're the best cakes. It's a good cake. We've had we have one for like a lot of team events when I was coaching. We'd always one of the parents would say, "I'll bring cake," and they bring a Costco cake. Yeah, and they're, they're always they're, good. You can't. No, they don't fail. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then song. Um, there's a um, there's a Bob Dylan song called uh, "Not Dark Yet." Okay. Now that's different than what you put on your questionnaire. It is, but that's about uh, a guy facing the end of his life. Oh, let's say it again. It's called Not Dark Yet. Not Dark Yet. Well, the line from that is Not Dark Yet, but it's getting there. Oh. I just don't see why I should even care. It's not dark yet. But it's facing your own mortality well that's great well seth i appreciate you coming in my guest today seth Atenya. plug your stuff one more time you got a website you got a book coming up or a movie coming up based on your work yeah so you can follow me just my website's the kind of clearinghouse it's seth and the last name h-e-t-t-e-n-a so there's two h's seth and then hatena dot com okay so two h's and two t's two h's s-e-t-h-h-e-t-t-e-n-a common spelling Common spelling. <laughs> and then the Giuliani thing is in progress? Giuliani Did have a expected? Scheduled, yeah, scheduled for next year. Okay, 2022. Yeah. That'd be interesting. And uh, maybe I'll have you back on if it's a hit. If it's a dud, then we'll, All right. well never talk again. It's nice knowing you. But <laughs> we're going to do another podcast. Hey, come back and do one of our roundtables. I would do, love to. We do roundtables. Okay, I'll, I'll definitely keep you in the loop. With that, I'm going to sign off. You can find me at TonyOnTheMic.com. Like you said, it's a clearinghouse. It has a lot of my stuff. I'm on Tony on the Mic on the TikToks, on the Facebooks, on the Instagrams, and the Twitter. I'm slowly populating all that stuff. So the main focus right now is the podcast and some uh, videos. Uh, YouTube. i got a channel on YouTube, Tony on the Mic. It's got about four videos up right now. Check that out. <laughs> are we are we recording this on video? This, yes, this is a video. No, this is... This is audio. Yeah. Um, I have to put my clothes on now. Right. <laughs> no, you don't. You're fine. 
<laughs> You've been in the fitness. You're looking good, man. Uh, so, and uh, that's going to do it for Tony on the mic. Say goodnight to the folks, Seth. Good night. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. Tony in the Mesa. The Mesa. Outro. 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 Outro.